told y'all not to sit around him. <coughs> if you will, we'll get your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. And one of our ladies while I go says, don't go for two and a half hours like you usually do. I'm kidding. That, that was another story, but I won't, I won't tell you about that. But Matthew chapter 20. <coughs> one of the most common Internet urban myths was spread by email, is that Microsoft founder Bill Gates once spoke at a high school graduation and shared what he called the practical life rules for teenagers. The only problem is Bill Gates never did that. In fact, he was finally asked, was you the one that spoke at that high school? He said, I'd never spoke at a high school. So here's the true story behind that. A California educator by the name of Charles Sachs did create the rules attributed to Bill Gates. Using Dr. Sachs' list, let's look at this, what, what they are, what they say, because they have some good points to all of us. Number seven, we'll go seven down. Television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. Number six, life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Number five, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault. So don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. Number four, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Number three, if you think your teacher is tough, wait until you get a boss. Number two, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. And last but not least, the number one rule you weren't, won't learn in high school is life is not fair, so get used to it. When Charles Sachs was asked how he felt to know that everyone from Ann Landers to Paul Harvey wrongly attributed his list to Bill Gates, here's what he said. I don't get upset because, hey, life isn't fair. So you, I'm used to it. Sachs says that the average teenager uses the phrase, that's not fair, 8.6 times each day. The kids got it from their baby boomer parents, who were the most idealistic generation ever. It's not fair that some people are taller and faster than other people. It's not fair that someone can eat a whole gallon of a blue whale ice cream and not gain a single pound. It's not fair that some high school dropout, coke-snorting Hollywood actor makes more money on one bad movie than all the high school teachers in Copper's Cove make. Or we can make them plain. I've been with this company for years, and that young upstart gets the promotion. That's just not fair. I've been a good parent, and I raised my child to know the Lord and have them uh, in church, and now they've rebelled against God. That's just not fair. I've lived a clean life. I've never smoked. And now the doctor tells me I have lung cancer. My uncle smoked for a pack a day for 30 years, and he's fine. It's just not fair. Often we hear those words, life just isn't fair. But, life, but God is good in spite of it. Isn't he? If you will, get your Bibles and turn with you to Matthew chapter 20. By now, you, the ones of you that are here most weeks, you know that I love the parables, the old, the New Testament parables, and this is one of them. But this is one that I think is so misunderstood of what the point of it is 
that we just sometimes miss the whole story. Chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. In fact, go back up to the last verse of uh, verse 30 of number 19, because that's really, we begin talking about that. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me as, as we honor the reading of God's Word. Now, this is a pretty, this is about 16 verses today, so a little bit longer, but verse 30 of chapter 19. But many who are first will be the last, and the last first. Now, watch this, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle at the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyards, and whatever is right I will give to you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So the e- when evening ca- came, <coughs> had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his stewards, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came who were, the, who were hired at the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. They likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only an hour, and you made them equal to us and have borne the burden and the heat in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give, if I wish to give the last man the same as to you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my, with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and what it means to us. And Lord, we just take this parable, and we just thank you for each one, that's, that's what it means to us. And Lord, we just ask that you would just today let your spirit fill each one of us. And Lord, let us... Understand what you're saying through this to each one of us standing here today. Thank you, Lord. Go with us and guide our thoughts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We may complain in many situations in life, that's just not fair. No, but God is good in everything we do. We've often often said, life isn't fair, but God is good. In this parable, parable today, Jesus is going to demonstrate the truth of what that st- statement actually means. Before we read chapter, uh, before we look at chapter twenty as as individually, the chapter and the verse divisions in the Bible, you know, that wasn't put in. Jesus didn't put the chapter and the verse divisions. That was put in the thirteenth century, and sometimes they got them wrong. And that's why I said, let's go back and read chapter nineteen. That one verse. Because that should be included in it. In fact, 1930 again. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then we jump right into chapter 20, verse 16, and uh, look at verse chapter 20, and we read verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Well, wait, a minute. isn't that redundant? What we just said. 
Here's the full story of the kingdom we, of the story we just read. The whole story. When you think about what the workers were paid, our immediate reaction is, wait a minute, that's not fair. Because some of them had worked all day long in the heat of the day, and some of them came in at the 11th hour, it says, the last hour, but they got paid the same. Now, most of us would say, wait a minute, that's not fair. That's just not right. Notice it says in verse 1 that heaven is like this man that hung the field. Now, that's a very key part because that's what the whole story rests upon. What Jesus is doing is giving us a parable about the kingdom of God. And it just, he says, pay attention to what it is. We look at the workers and we think, well, that isn't fair. I mean, these guys had worked all day long and they got paid the same thing as this other one got. That's not right. But yet, this is a picture of God's kingdom. Heaven uses math that the world doesn't use. Jesus leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one lost one. The world doesn't operate that way. Jesus said that a widow who gave two little pennies, in fact, it was even less than a penny, her offering was more valuable than all the rich people in town. That's not fair. Wait a minute. She didn't give much. But God said, look at how she gave it. She gave, they gave of their abundance. She gave of everything she had. She laid it all on the line. The world would call that fuzzy math, but the Bible calls it grace. You know, we use the word grace a lot around the church, but yet I want you to see what grace is. I believe this story, that's what this story is really all about. We read parables. I'm sure each one of you heard messages on parables all your life, and, or most of your life anyway. But so many times we miss the point of this parable because it, it's sort of lengthy compared to other parables, but yet because it deals with a subject that we don't know how to deal with, what the kingdom of God's like. We haven't been there yet. I may be closer than most of y'all, but, but we're not there yet. And so that's what this one's dealing about. It's not talk about landowners and whether they're fair to each other or not. That, that's not what the story is. God is teaching us a lesson about timing. It's never too late to come to God. Did you hear that? It's never too late to come to God. Some workers started at 6 a.m. in the morning. They worked all day long. Others started at various times. There was a group that started at 9, it says, or at noon, and then later in the afternoon. And so some of them even started at 5 and then quitting time of 6. So some of them had worked just one hour. But did you catch they all got paid the same? Now, what, what's that have to do with anything? I think the first workers represent folks who have been part of God's kingdom for many years. I know we've got people here, been, you've been a Christian for all of your adult life, perhaps. Maybe even since a kid, kidship. Some of us weren't that fortunate. I didn't come in early in life. I know a lot of you have, and, and that's a good thing. We're not knocking that by any means. But yet, think about the inheritance we're going to get one of these days. Even though I wasn't saved until almost 20 years old, I'm going to get the same reward as what you get. And there's other people that even came in later. I've shared with you when we was in Paris, Texas, that uh, uh, one of our members was 76 years old. And one night we was having a, a men's call, attending a men's conference. And after it was over with, he came knocking on my door. Now, I've never had anybody do this, but he, he says, remember what you preached last Sunday? And I thought, 
No, not really. But no, I didn't do it. But it's. Uh, but he did, and it was about the wheat and the tares, and his words were, "I'm a tear, and all of my life I've been going to church." And he said, in a sort of a motel room, right there beside the, he says, I need to become a wheat. And right there in that motel room, the music director and myself was rooming together. And this, in fact, his name is Dode Wheeler. He just passed away just a few weeks ago, in fact. And right there beside the bed, between the two beds, he got on his knees. He confessed Jesus Christ. The next Sunday morning, he says, get the baptistry ready because I'm being baptized Sunday morning. It wasn't a, can I be baptized? It's, I'm going to be baptized <laughs> And we had a hallelujah experience when Dode Wheeler went under. One of the greatest guys I've ever met in my life. But for years and years, he had attended church and had never been saved. Folks, there's a lot of people that do the same thing. A lot of people that do the same thing. In fact, I remember when we went to Texarkana about, uh, well, about 12 years ago now, in 05, we was, shortly after we got there, was hiring, trying to hire a youth director. And a young, named, a young man named David Tollett uh, was a good candidate. And so me and him had talked several times, and I recommended him to the church, and I think he'd be a good youth director, and we hired him. So the first Sunday, I asked him to give his testimony. And here's what he said. Other things, but just this is the point I want to bring out. He said one time that he had been going to church nine months before he was born. <laughs> I like that. But that's true. He was a regular church attender. He grew up in the church. But later on, he told me, he says, you realize I grew up in church, was there every Sunday, attended Sunday school, VBS, all the activities of the church. We were there every Sunday. And it wasn't until I was about 15 that I got saved. Just going to church, folks, don't make you a Christian. You can attend every Baptist church in this city and die and go to hell. It's not about the Baptist church or the Methodist Church or any other for that matter. It's do you know Jesus Christ? That's what this story is about right here. For some of you in the church has always been an important part of your life. You grew up with it. I know Judy did. You know, she she was saved at six months, I think. I don't know how old she was, but a young lady. I mean, she grew up in the church. And so for her experience to be dramatically different, it wasn't. She had always gone to church. I'm sure some of you have too. But she still had to come to the place where she realized that Jesus Christ was not a part of her life and made that commitment as a young girl. For others, we didn't come to Christ until years later in our lives. Most Christians come to, life, come to Christ at an early age. But on rare occasions, there are some who come to Christ late in life, like the man I just shared with you. Even more rare are what we call deathbed conversions. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, a condemned thief looked at him and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was a powerful profession of faith because Jesus didn't look much like a king at that moment, if you remember. I mean, he had a crown of thorns. He was bloody. He had been beaten to a pulp. I mean, he was not a pretty sight. He didn't look like a king. But this thief that was hanging next to him saw something about him that made this man special, that made him different. And the only thing I can find in the Bible, if you go back a few verses before that verse we just heard about, is that while he was hanging on the cross, he listened to Jesus' words. When the people were mocking him and hitting him and slapping him and pulling his beard out and all those things, and Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. That's what he noticed, I believe. 
because there's nothing else written about it. And the next thing we see is that this young man was requesting Jesus. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. He didn't have a chance to attend church. He wasn't even baptized. He didn't have anything that you could do that looked Christian. He was dying in a few minutes. And Jesus says, today you shall be with me in paradise. It's never too late to trust Jesus. Or is it? Yes, it is. There's a time when it's too late to trust Jesus. Do you know that? If you die without putting your faith in Jesus, it's too late. There's nothing to be done for you. Someone observed about the thief on the cross that there, that is one deathbed conversion in the Bible, so nobody should despair. But there is only one in all the Bible. Nobody should presume either. Jeff Stratton was a pastor in Evansville, Indiana, at one of our Baptist churches up there. A few years ago, he was called to visit a 93-year-old man who had terminal cancer. His name was Adolph Allen. Now, this is his words I'm reading to you. Adolph Allen. He had been a hard-living, hard-drinking union worker for most of his life. Two minutes into their conversation, Adolph looked at Jeff and said, is it fair for someone to live their whole life one way and then at the end of their life ask God to take them to heaven? Jeff said he thought about it for a few moments, and he said, No, Adolph, that is not fair. But luckily for you, it's grace. Jeff shared the plan of salvation, and this 93-year-old man bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart. Four weeks later, Jeff preached Adolph's funeral. And he talked about how some football games come down to the final play. The team that's been behind might have been outplayed all the game. But at the last play, the back quarterback fades back, throws a deep pass, and a receiver jumps up in the end zone and grabs it and comes down just as time expires. The ball may be batted around, but as long as the offensive receiver catches it, the game is over and they win. And here's what Jeff said at Mr. Adolph's funeral. That's what happened to Adolph. The devil was in the lead most of his life, but the final score wound up. Jesus won zero to the devil. I like that story. <laughs> if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you may be thinking that someday you'll get around to trusting Christ. I'll, I don't want to do it now. I'm still young. I'll wait until I get older is the way a lot of people look at it. Maybe you see yourself in a hospital or a hospice, and like Adolph, you sneak in right under the wire, and you get saved at the last moment. The problem with deathbeds conversions is that statistics tell us that more people die out of bed than in bed. So don't take the chance if you're one of them. Don't wait. The Creator is walking through this world right now saying to everyone, Come work in my vineyard. Will you accept this invitation? You may be thinking, not me. I've messed up way too many times. There's no hope for me. But the Bible says, yes, there is. You're never, as long as you don't wait till after you die, it's never too late. That's what this lesson's about. That's what this parable's about. Even if you live 70 or 80 years old or 20 years old, for that matter, without Christ, he'll receive you today, each one of us. No matter what you've done. I've had people say, well, I can't be saved. I'm just, I'm just too much of a sinful creature. 
My Bible says that's why Jesus died on the cross for each one of us. And it's not too late unless you wait too long. The second thing we see, this is also a lesson about grace. All who respond to God's invitation will receive all there is to receive. You notice the workers all receive the, the same money, even though some work 12 hours, some work one hour. But yet the Bible says you had a generous boss, and he paid them that. By the way, a denarius at this day and age was a day's wages. And so here some of them had worked 12 hours for the same thing that the guy who worked for one hour did. And they argued about it. They complained about it and said, wait a minute, that's not fair. And the landowner, if you remember the stories we read through it, said, I, I gave you exactly what I told you I'd give you. We made a deal. You, you said you'd work for this. Then why is it wrong for me to give somebody else what I want to give them? It's my money. It's my field. And that's a picture of God. God will give us all he's got to each one of us. It doesn't matter how bad you've been in life. We could probably compare notes. I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. But God gave me the same reward as he gave anybody else. Let's move along. Heaven is just one of the benefits that we have of salvation. What is our denarius? Heaven's? If you say heaven, it's the wrong answer. Heaven is just, again, one of the benefits of salvation. But the real treasure is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the re reward is. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. He was going to Jesus' home place. When you hear the sta that statement, do you focus on the word paradise? Most of us do. If you do, that's the wrong focus. You should be on, focused on the words with me. That's what heaven is. Heaven is a place that we're going to be with Jesus for eternity, for thousands and thousands of years. As long as God supplies it, it's going to be there. That's what heaven is. All who trust Jesus, whether you're young or old, receive a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that lasts forever because wherever Jesus is, that is paradise. We talk about going to heaven and what a great place it will be. And I mean, all these things that we've heard in the Bible and heard people talk about and so forth. Great. But the greatest thing about heaven will be Jesus is there. But let's be honest. Some of us who've worked in the vineyard for most of our lives bristle a little bit about this story. And they say, you may be thinking, well, what about rewards? Doesn't the Bible say that we'll be rewarded for faithful service to the Lord? Doesn't the Bible say that not every, everyone receives the same rewards? Yes, it does. There will be rewards handed out in the form of crowns, according to the Bible, as we gather around the throne of the Lamb. But think a little bit past that. What are we going to – we aren't going to wear those crowns very long. We might put them on, but you know what we're going to do with them? The Bible says we'll lay them at the feet of Jesus. Because we realize the price he paid for us. So those crowns, oh, it'll be great to receive a crown. But yet all we're going to do is lay them at the feet of Jesus. That's not part of heaven. We got it. But that's not what it's all about. Many Christians who study this parable identify with employees who put in a full day's work rather than the add-ons at the end of the day. 
We like to think of ourselves as responsible workers. And the employer's strange behavior baffles us a little bit to the original, just like it did to the original hearers. We risk missing the story's point. And the point is that God dispenses gifts, not wages. If paid on the basis of fairness, we would all end up in hell. If it's a wage you want from God, listen to what the Bible says, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin are death. But if you want grace, it's a gift that can't be earned. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What is eternal life? Jesus defined it in John chapter 17, verse 3, when he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. He was speaking of the Father, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what the reward is, that one day we will live with God. You know, we're so worried about all the stress and the tension and the things in our world and worried about ambushes and all these things that happen all over the country now. And the worst the world can do to us is just speed up our going to heaven. I mean, what do we got to fear? Now, I'm not saying we need to encourage that, but, I mean, it can't hurt us. We're already reserved a spot. I've already got a room in that mansion up there. Eternal life isn't living forever. Eternal life isn't heaven. Eternal life is knowing God. That's the gift. That's the full denarius in this case. And everyone in the kingdom of God receives it. Well, that's not fair. No, but thank God that's grace. The third lesson we learn about this passage, a lesson about authority. God is sovereign. He has the right to do whatever he wants to do, period. I love the part in the parable where the 12-hour workers complain to the owner. He just smiles and says, I paid you what we agreed on. If I want to be generous, that's my right because it's my vineyard and it's my money. Basically, he says, get over it. They weren't Baptists, obviously, because they'd complain more. <laughs> Grace disturbs our sense of justice and our sense of fairness. But God owns the universe. He created it, and He created us. He rules and reigns and does as He pleases. That doesn't sound good to our ears, but that's a blessing if you think about it. Some of you probably were business owners at one time, maybe still be for that matter. Well, that's not the way I'd run my business. Of course it isn't. God says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know what he's saying right there? Get over it. I heard a story about a young man who was in seminary class, and he had had an unusual experience with grace. He stayed up all night studying for a final exam in one of his theology classes. As he entered the classroom, he looked around and knew that there were some slackers who didn't study very much. But he was ready to ace the exam. Before the professor, professor passed out the exams, he led a brief review of some topics that would be on the test. He said it would be a, a fill-in-the-blank test. He was starting to panic because... Some of the topics weren't in his notes. He thought, this isn't fair. Then the topics, then the professor said, we didn't talk much about these topics, but they were in the book, 
And if you remember, on the first day of school, I told you, you're responsible for all the material in the book. He's starting to panic now. As the professor passed out the exam papers, he told the class to lay them face down and don't, don't turn them over until he tells everybody to turn them over. When they turned over the test, they were shocked to see that all the blanks had already been filled in. There was a note at the bottom that said, this is your final exam. All the answers are correct. You will receive a perfect score on the final exam. The reason you have passed this test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did or didn't do in preparing for the exam did not help you get an A. You have just experienced grace. Isn't that neat? I never had a professor do that, but it <laughs> the professor had the right to do what he wanted to because it was his class. God has the right to do to be as generous as he wants to to us. And we can't do anything about it. That's not fair. No, but thank God that's grace. The fourth lesson about attitude. Be thankful for God's blessings without comparing yourself to others. The 12-hour workers grumbled because they compared their wage to the one-hour workers. Someone said that comparison is toxic to the soul. There's probably a lot of truth to it. I really don't mind if you buy you a brand-new Lexus and drive it around and pull it to church and let me look at it. But if I bought a Chevrolet and I find out that I paid less than you did for your Lexus, I'm not going to be a happy camper because that's a far better car. And you, I paid more for mine than you did yours. Of course, probably not going to happen, but anyway. Abraham Lincoln was walking down the street one day with his two young sons, Tab and Willie. They both were howling and fussing with each other in displeasure, and a friend met them on the street. And What's wrong with the boys, Abe? He said, what's wrong with, the boy, with my boys is what's wrong with all of the world. I have three chestnuts, and they both want two. Many of us have worked in the Lord's vineyard for years, and the temptation we must overcome is to, to grumble when some new person joins the church. But wait a minute, I've been a Christian all my life just about. And he comes in and he's teaching a class in two weeks and all this other kind of stuff. That's just not fair. No, but that's grace. Or when we hear of a death row prisoner who accepts Christ, we may think, yeah, right. But the Bible warns us against grumbling, folks. James 5, 9 says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged the judge is standing at the door. How we need to get our grumbling out of God's churches nowadays. Can you think of a couple of grumblers in the Bible who complained about grace? How about old Jonah? Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh that God would destroy them unless they repented. Guess what happened? They all repented. This whole city repented. And Jonah pouted and complained to God about his grace in forgiving them. Don't be a grumbler like old Jonah. You remember a man, uh, uh, in, uh, remember the story, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son? Not the one that went away, but the older one. He refused to join the party and complain to his father about the grace and generosity to this rebellious son. He couldn't understand it. I have to smile when I think how through the years the churches I've pastored 
that God brought all kinds of people in our church. I've had a few people say something like this. Pastor, I saw someone last Sunday that had tattoos all over their body. I just don't like that. Or did you see that guy that wore shirt, shorts to church today? Or did you see that teenager who was, had those piercings? I just wanted to smile. And I didn't say this, but I wanted to, and I've thought about it a lot since then. I should have said something like this. Well, it's a good thing it's not your church then, isn't it? Because God loves each one of those people as much as he does you. Folks, sometimes we find things in the church to complain about. This isn't our church. Even though we call it that, it's not our church. This is God's church. And when we begin to point out people and pick them out for some reason, I don't care what the reason is, we better be careful. God says to accept all people into his family. That's what we're to have a picture of. Just be thankful for your salvation without begrudging those who come into the kingdom later. You say, it's just not fair. No, it's not. But it's grace. Now, thank God that's grace. Let me conclude with this little story. Well, first of all, let me share this with you. I remember in one seminary class that I took that the teacher always asked this question. He says, when you do a sermon, you need to ask this question. And he said, we said, what's the question? He says, so what? Do what? He said, every time you do a message, you need to ask, okay, so what? Whether you hear one, whether you do one, you need to be asking, okay, I heard that story, so what? So what do I do about applying that to my life? How can I put that in my life? How is it applicable to me? What's it mean for me to do as a Christian that's been in this church for years, that's been through every Bible study we've ever had and partook of the BBS and all the other programs? What's in it for me? Well, in order to ask that question, I have to tell you another story. Based upon the one that Jesus told here, imagine one of the workers in Jesus' parable who only worked one hour was named Joseph. And the other one, had a, and he had a wife named Sarah. Now, this is my story, so I'm making this up. Let me share it with you, though. It was past dark, and Sarah was getting nervous. As she sweeps the, floor, the dirt floor for the third time, she breathes a little prayer. Oh, God, where's my Joseph? It's getting late, and I know he didn't find any work today. I went to the marketplace this afternoon, and he was sta still standing there with the other men hoping for work. Where is he, Lord? Has something happened to him? Or is he just too ashamed to come home empty-handed again? At that moment, her little five-year-old daughter, Rebecca, pulls on her skirt. Mommy, where is Daddy? I'm hungry. Will he bring us something to eat tonight? At that moment, Joseph burst through the door. Sarah, Becky, prepare the table. Look what I have. I have bread. I have cheese. I have figs. And I have some honey for the two sweetest girls of my life. Sarah stares in astonishment and stutters. But Joseph, where did you get all this? I know you didn't work today because I saw you standing in line with the other unemployed men hoping to get work at 4 o'clock this afternoon. What happened? Joseph said, Sarah, may God be praised. The most amazing thing happened to me this afternoon. I was standing there thinking that it would be another day without work, another day without food for little, Sarah, for little Becky. What would I do? I was so discouraged. 
I didn't even, I didn't think I could come home and stand there because I wouldn't bring any food or anything to eat. And then all of a sudden, about the fifth, five o'clock, about five o'clock, Mr. Ben Yakov, the rich man who owned the vineyard outside the village, showed up. He says, "Why aren't you working, guys?" And we said, "Well, no one's hired us." He said, "Well, uh, I'll hire you. Hop on the cart, and I'll take you out to my vineyard. You can work." I knew since it was late in the day, I would only earn a few pennies, but that was better than nothing. And perhaps maybe I could take it down and barter a little bit, maybe get a loaf of bread at least for them. But when we got there, I saw lots of men working. I could tell some of them had been working all day long because they were tired and dusty. I worked for about an hour when Mr. Ben called us all to be paid. Can you believe it? He paid those of us who had only worked an hour first. I was first in line when I held up my hand. I couldn't believe my eyes. He gave me a denarius, a full day's wage. I said, Mr. Ben, did you make a mistake? I worked for only one hour. He smiled and shrugged his shoulders and said, I'm a generous man. And I have plenty to give, so take it. I know it doesn't make sense, but he paid the workers, all of them, the same amount of money. He paid the same money for those that worked 12 hours or 8 hours or 6 hours. It's still the same money. The others griped at first because we that had just worked a little bit got the pay, same pay they did. I was so happy I took the money and ran straight to the market and bought all this food. Doesn't it look delicious? Let's just thank God and dig in. Sarah set the table. She looked at the food and says, wait a minute, Joseph. There's only three loaves here. And this cheese has been cut in half. I know food prices. You should have been able to buy four loaves of bread and a full wedge of cheese. Where's the rest of the food? Oh, Joseph hung his head like a little boy caught in a cookie jar. He says, I didn't think you'd notice. I hope you don't mind, but on the way home with all this food, I passed the widow Elizabeth's house. I knew she didn't have much, so I stopped and gave her one of the loaves and some of the cheese. I hope you don't mind. Sarah smiled and wiped a tear from her eyes and said, Of course I don't, Joseph. You're a kind and generous man. Let's bow our heads and eat this food. So, what is the so what of this message? It's simple. Because God has been so unreasonably generous to you, now you're blessed to inexplicably be generous to somebody else. Maybe you could do something nice to someone who has wronged you. Maybe somebody in this church needs just something special from you. Maybe you can be generous to someone who has no ability to reciprocate. You say, but pastor, that's not fair. No, it's not. But that's grace. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you for Lord, this time. And Lord, you know this little story and Lord, we just pray that you take this story and dwell it in each one of our hearts and our minds that, Lord, we would be reminded of how much we've been blessed with. Lord, how great you've been to us. How great you've even been to this church. We're not a wealthy church. We don't have a great number of things. But yet, Lord, at the same time, we've got the king of all kingdoms up ahead. And, Lord, we know that you're going to take care of us. And, Lord, for that, we're to reach out. 
and share Jesus Christ with other people throughout this city, throughout this area. Lord, let them just see Christ in each one of us because, Lord, we've been given so much. We need to give so much. Thank you, Lord, for the ones that are here this morning. Now, Lord, I just ask that you'd go with us this invitational song. Lord, speak to somebody's heart this morning. You know the needs of every person that's here. Lord, there may be somebody here today that does not know what salvation is. Lord, don't let them wait too long. Lord, there may be somebody here that's just been out of church, and they've just gotten away from you. Lord, call them back. It's never too late to come back to you. Or, Lord, there may be some people like the, the man in this story that had no hope for tomorrow, but yet you blessed him greatly. Whatever the need is as we stand here, we're not going to tarry long. But, Lord, this invitation is for you. Speak today to our hearts. Break us if necessary to put us where you want us to be. Go with us over the next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.